Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. In this episode, we're focusing on a range of different topics, including everything from USL TV ratings to a new commentator moving to Fox Sports for the World Cup coverage, as well as the Turkish Super League signing a new deal. And we have some discussion about the art of football commentary. So the art of soccer commentary. My name is Christopher Harris, and I'm pleased to announce that today we've got a special co-host. And his name is John Roder. John has been uh, a football commentator for many, many years. John, welcome to the show. Hello, Les. Very nice to uh, be with you. So, John, I know that uh, f- for those who don't know, John is a uh, an established uh, football commentator, has broadcast many, many games over the years and also an avid listener to the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, Just to go through your bio a little bit, John. So uh, since leaving the BBC to go freelance in 1994, a lot of uh, listeners uh, may have heard uh, John's uh, words, uh, commentary for games. What what are some of the the games that kind of stand out to you or or some of the tournaments that that, uh, listeners may recognise your voice from? Um, I do a lot of world feeds, as you intimated there, Chris. I've done, I think, 14 tournaments now for uh, FIFA in various places around the world. Uh, It depends whether in the US you get those or not. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Particularly in Canada, I know that that you do via TSN and CBC and things like that. Uh, In terms of matches, um, the Women's World Cup final in 2015 in Vancouver. The whole match actually is available on the new FIFA Plus app, which is an amazing app. Um, and that was probably as close to perfection as I ever got with a commentary. It was an, an amazing occasion. Um, other games that spring to mind immediately, Spain 3, Portugal 3 at the last World Cup in Russia. I was fortunate enough to be in Sochi. And the YouTube edited video of that, which is about three minutes highlights, that's had something like 95 million views on YouTube, which is an incredible incredible uh, but they're all in the past um the next game is always the most important and it doesn't matter what level uh, that game is the next one is, is always the most important i've done match of the day the iconic bbc television program since 2004 i've done plenty of european football uh for bt sport here in the uk for the last 10 years since they were established uh, i've done basically every single channel that exists in the uk that covers sport 
Excellent. So we'll get more into that a little bit later. But but one of the first questions that pops up for me, John, is in terms of commentary. Has it changed at all from from the beginning when you first started out to now? Is it, or is it the same same as it's always always been? Any changes you've seen? I think there has been a lot of changes. To be honest, Chris. I mean, the main one is that obviously you've got far more people doing it. Uh, both on a staff level for various broadcasters and also on a freelance level. When I went freelance from the BBC in 1994, there weren't very many people who could work for any channel that they wished. Um, And now there are a lot more of them. I think the style has changed a lot as well. I think that is possibly due to the influence of the American uh, way of broadcasting football. I'm sorry, I can't call it soccer. It's football. Um, Insofar as there are a lot more stats used nowadays, personally, I prefer to use a a stat only if I would find it interesting. Um, So, for example, the fact that somebody has scored 17 goals in 234 appearances, well, that's not really very interesting. If they've never scored in those 234 appearances, then that is interesting. Also, if they've scored 233 goals in those 234 appearances, that's interesting. But, you know... I think the use of stats more, I prefer not to use them unless I find them to be of interest. Um, Yeah, and also the role of the co-commentator. If you go back 20, 30 years, maybe or so, the co-commentator didn't say as much as they do now. And in a way, that's a good thing because most of us commentators have never played it at a really, really high level. And hopefully the co-commentator is giving us an insight into the game and how it's being played and giving us an insight into what we can't see. So we can all sort of say, oh, great cross, great header, great goal. But why? And that is the role of the co-commentator. And I think the co-commentator's role has become far more important in recent years. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I think in some ways, the profile of a football commentator and co-commentator, in many ways, some of them are stars now. Uh, I mean, there's always been you know the Martin Tylers and Brian Moores and Barry Davis and, and, and those from, say, the, the 70s or 80s on, and, and uh, thereafter. But in many ways, whether it's I mean John Champion being signed by ESPN to go to America, if it's Peter Drury recently being signed by NBC Sports, uh, in previous years, Martin Tyler got signed by, I think, ABC to go to America, but then also went to Australia to do a World Cup. Um, do you think, in, in a way, though, do you agree with that? Do you think that the profile of, of a football commentator, that they've become more of the star stars? Not, I mean, they're not uh, football stars by any means, but, but in terms of um, more well-known? With Yes, having said that... I don't particularly care for it. I think a good commentator should be like a good referee. I, you shouldn't really notice them. They should be interesting. They should help the flow of the game. They should help the, the viewer. Um, but I disagree completely with people who suddenly think they are the story because they are commentating on the game. Um, yeah, you're well-known commentators. Peter's move to NBC, obviously, is a big one, uh, both this side of the pond and on your side. Um but yeah, I, I I really don't agree with commentators being stars. We're there to help the viewer and to aid the viewer. Um, it's not about us. It really isn't. Because if we weren't there on the television, the game would still be broadcast. It would just have natural atmosphere on it. Um, far more important on the radio, of course, where um, if the commentator wasn't there, you wouldn't have anything. But uh, no, I'm not particularly in favour of commentators becoming stars. 
Yeah, def- definitely good points there. So speaking of football commentators, one piece of the news that came out this week, uh, just actually this week, was that uh, Jackie Oatley has been hired by mm. uh, Fox Sports uh, to be one of their um, lead uh, football commentators, soccer commentators for the 2022 World Cup starting in November, December. Um John, in terms of, I mean, so some of our listeners will know Jackie through some of the, the Premier League World Feed broadcasts. Some of them may know her from some of the radio broadcasts. But um, have you had a chance to work with her? Or, you mean, what, what can you tell us about Jackie Oatley? I've known Jackie for years. The football commentary community in the UK is, is reasonably small once you get to a certain level. I know Jackie for years. She's an excellent commentator and was a really good acquisition from Fox Sports. I think she'll be uh, really good. And I think the US audience will enjoy her tremendously. Am I right in thinking, Chris, that apart from Derek Ray, who is kind of an adopted American anyway, will Jackie be the first non-US voice on Fox World Cup coverage? Um, I think it's... In terms of a main play-by-play commentator. And again, I hate that word play-by-play, but... So, in terms of a main commentator, yeah, that's a great question. I think in I'm trying to think. I'm going through the names in my head. <laughs> I, th- I think it, for for this World Cup, yeah, absolutely. For previous World Cups, they they probably uh, had a few people that they brought in, but it, it's rare. I mean, there. I mean, definitely Fox Sports. Um, as, as you know, I'm sure is is mostly kind of all American, and that's their focus. And and they've really kind of uh, played that up in terms of hiring different talents, both uh, co-commentary presenters, studio analysts, and and the actual commentators. But yeah, I think you're right. So this this is a departure for them uh, in hiring somebody that's not American, and, and especially being one of the the lead commentators playing a really key role. Uh, it should be interesting because I think uh, she's going to bring a lot to it. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jackie is a really, really good commentator. As I say, she she's an excellent signing for uh, Fox Sports. And it's also part of the, the welcome thing where the diversity of uh, the commentary team is being expanded again. So, uh, again, it, it, it's a thoroughly positive move. Yeah. And she has the experience, too. I mean, and she's been doing this for a number of years. Uh, for me personally, I mean, I, I probably am more familiar with her from uh, radio commentaries. And uh, she has a very authoritative voice, a very recognizable voice um, and has done quite a few commentaries on, on television, too, of course. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing um, how, how she basically how, how she slots in with the World Cup and, and also what type of assignments she gets if she gets mostly say i don't know england games right i mean it, it could be that um derek ray of course being scottish and scotland not, not being there derek's very um cosmopolitan i can see derek especially doing the germany games he's a you I mean definitely a germaphobe into not germaphobe a german file uh in terms of that goes now, in, in addition to that, and this week there was some other news too that um, in in um, Turkey, the Turkish Super League, uh, which is relatively a smaller league, uh, but has signed a deal with BN Sports for the next several years, actually next two years, a global deal. Um, those games will continue on um, in the United States on television there. In addition to that too, uh, we had a USL game this past weekend. We had Hartford Athletic against Louisville City, second division, uh, American soccer. Uh, And this game was on ESPN. So for the second week in a row, they've had a game on ESPN. This one had 142,000 viewers, um, which is a decent number for a second division uh, American soccer league. Uh, 
now, John, I'm sure that that kind of uh, not not a massive number in terms of uh, UK numbers, but for kind of a fledgling league, that's definitely a good sign there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the signing of the Turkish league is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously, America, when I've been there, and I've been fortunate enough to to go on, on quite a few occasions, it's a very cosmopolitan country, isn't it? A lot of different mixes. I mean, when I did a Mexico game uh, in America at the Copa America Centenario in 2016, it was like being in Mexico City. It was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wonder how they're going to cover it, the Turkish league in terms of commentary, um, because I'm presuming that there wouldn't be a world feed available, and I'm guessing they're going to just concentrate on, on, on the big clubs, you know, your Fenerbahce's, your Galatasaray's and uh, Besiktas's of, of, of this world. Yeah, that's a good question because previously in previous seasons that BN Sports has had it for the United States, I think most of the games have been available on streaming only. Uh, so the games that were on television usually was uh, their in-house commentators. And then I think for the streaming games, usually it would be, um, I don't know if it would be, that. that's a good question. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head in terms of that. Um, going back to USL for a second too, so 142,000 viewers for that game uh, on ESPN, and it's one of those things that um, that number was greater than the number for the uh, Philadelphia Union game against New York City from Major League Soccer on Sunday night on FS1, and uh, ESPN right now is uh, in talks with USL about extending the deal that they have in place, it expires this season. This gives USL a really good place to be in terms of saying, like, hey, there is actually uh, interest in this league. We've had a couple of games so far. There's two more coming up on television. And these numbers are very similar to Major League Soccer. So it makes you wonder if um, no matter what soccer is played in those windows on ESPN on, on a weekend, uh, it's comparative to Major League Soccer. And also at the same time then too, with uh, MLS signing the deal with Apple for the next several years, uh, for the next 10 years, actually, for the streaming deal, uh, ESPN is in discussions with MLS about the TV side of the things, uh, the TV deal. And uh, I wonder if the USL conversation will will uh, end up uh, being discussed in the meeting rooms between ESPN and MLS. And, and ESPN might use this as leverage. It might say, hey, well, USL, I mean, a second division team is getting pretty close to MLS numbers. So so maybe this could be part of the actual discussions or kind of the, the leverage that ESPN may have. Yeah, there's, there's one point here, Chris. Um, back in 1992 here in the UK, when the Premier League was established and it went on to subscription television, Sky Television, Channel 4 signed a very cheap deal to show Italian football from Serie A. And the Italian football was actually far more popular in terms of viewer numbers uh, than the Premier League because the Premier League was hidden behind a subscription. Um, the Channel Four Italian was was free to air, so I wonder if that might uh, if that might come into play in a similar scenario. The other thing that, as a member of the commentators' union, is obviously there are all the local. Uh, TV commentators like my good friend Tony Husband, who works for for Nashville. Yep. Um, do we know what is going to be happening with, with, with those people as yet? I mean, are they all going to be out of a job come come the end of this season? Yeah, te- technically right now, yes, um, unless they're hired by Major League Soccer for uh, for next season. So MLS, uh, from what, what I understand, is planning on hiring uh, basically about a dozen commentating teams and uh, we'll go ahead and go through kind of the roster of who's available and then we'll look at maybe some other talent that might be available and then pick, you mean, kind of the... Uh, 
the 12 or so teams to to go ahead and do the commentary. Some of that's going to be on site at matches. Um, a lot of it, about half of it, is going to be called off uh, off the tube or off the monitor uh, in a kind of a centralized production um, uh, place in a studio. Um, so so with people like Tony and and others that are. Um, a lot of kind of English uh, announcers that have come to the United States to go ahead and commentate games for uh, Major League Soccer, they may find themselves uh, with MLS uh, and the Apple deal in 2023 onwards, or they may find themselves uh, basically kind of cut out and, and not not in there. They may have to then look at other options. But yeah, that, that's a good point, John, because it's really kind of right now up in the air, and they've got this season to finish off. But I'm sure they're having some discussions. Um, hopefully with their agents or, or directly uh, with MLS uh, to try to fig- figure out a way to get on there. I mean, and Tony and, and there's many others too that are really, really some really great commentary. Um, we've got uh, Lloyd Sam, who's a co-commentator at Charlotte, uh, Nigel Riococa, who's doing some great work um, throughout the United States, doing a lot of Copa Libertadores games for being sports. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of... Um, newer fresher faces but also some kind of veteran ones to actually continue with major league soccer and i hope they do it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the life, actually, of a football commentator, which, which people might not appreciate, but basically... Contracts come and contracts go. Um, and you, you basically have to try and go with the contracts and hope that somebody will pick you up as a person to work on those deals. I mean, the reason, if you look at my website, johnroder.com, the reason I have so many clients, uh, both present and past, is literally because contracts come and contracts go. So, you know, I, I mentioned Channel 4 Italian earlier. I, I did that for a few years. Um, and then they lost the rights to that. So you, you move on. Um, and I think, to be honest, that's how I've made a career out of being a, a squad member, if, 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 if you like to call it that. Um, somebody who's not the number one commentator at any network or on any program, but they all uh, broadcasters will always need somebody else to, to come in and do the secondary game of the weekend or the third game of the weekend. Um, and that's the way that I've made my living, um, which is possibly why, why when you said earlier about star commentators, I, I don't particularly 
care for that at all. I would call myself a, a, a jobbing working commentator as opposed to a star commentator. I, I'd, I'd, I would reject that totally. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because I know Derek Ray and others I've spoken with in the past have said that uh, they much prefer the life of, of a freelance commentator where they can basically go through and kind of pick and choose uh, who they want to work with, have a little bit more flexibility rather than being not stuck, but but basically kind of uh, with a contract with, with a certain broadcaster uh, and not having the flexibility in, in someone like Derek um, yourself, John, I'm sure, and, and others have been able to kind of uh, really benefit from that freelance approach where you can pick and choose sometimes uh, or or look around and, and, and not be uh, just held to to a contract with one, one broadcaster. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything, isn't it? I mean, if you have a contract with somebody, at least you know that you're going to get uh, paid every month. Uh, as a freelance, I mean, I look at my diary, it's completely empty at the moment, completely empty. My first booking is not until the end of the year. Yeah, and that's the thing though too, because it, it is that that's that's the the other the part of it. It's like risk and rewards. So sometimes, yeah. right? It's it could be one of those things that uh, during great years it, it's wonderful, um, but then but then there's always going to be. I mean, there's always football matches on, but sometimes there are going to be spaces of time where where there's. You I mean it's almost like a, a writer, right? It's almost like kind of a, a professional writer where you're writing books, yeah. but sometimes you might be in between uh, books, and and then you're kind of waiting until the next uh, the next check comes through. Yeah, and I, and I hasten to add that that is because um, the Premier League matches haven't been allocated for match of the day yet. If I'm back on the team again, this is another thing of, of uh, being a freelance. You don't quite ever know if you're going to be asked back again. That it's like anything, isn't it? If you're a painter and decorator, if if somebody asks you to come round and paint their their lounge or their kitchen or whatever, if they then ask you back six months later to come and do another room in the house, you know that they're happy with what you've done. And it's exactly the same with football commentary. Once you get the second booking and the third booking, you know you're okay. <laughs> what, what criteria do you think they use? I mean, do they have a, a method in terms of kind of making making those selections? I have absolutely no idea about <laughs> that, Chris. I'm just, I'm just very grateful that um, clients basically seem to want to keep booking me again and again. I think... Basically, if you do a good job, you've done your research, you sound good on air, you don't require mothering, nannying, you're not not a diva, Mm -hmm. in in, in other words. You turn up, you do your job, and you go home again. And I think that's all all you can do, really. You just do the job to the best of your ability, which is why I say that the next game is always the most important. You know, you might be doing a, a huge match in 10 days' time, but if you've got two games before that, those two games are the most important. Not that huge match that's coming up, those two games that are, that are coming up before that. And then from your experience, I mean, most of the commentary gigs that you do get, are they mostly solo commentary or c- combined with a co-commentator? Uh, a mixture of both, to be honest, Chris. Um, it's quite interesting because when when you do a solo commentary you're you're kind of trying to be the analyst as well but you don't come from that position of actually having played the game at the very highest level um whereas an analyst or a co-coms will actually give you that hopefully will give you give you that insight um some of the best co-commentators that i have worked with and have the pleasure of working with weren't the biggest names as players people like stuart robson Mm -hmm. tony dorigo andy hinchcliffe you know, they're not the big household names that are known the world over. 
but they have learnt a new trade. They have learnt the art of co-commentary and they have learnt the art of being able to explain what is happening to the viewer and by and also being able to say, look at this. This is what happens when that happens on that side. Say, say, you know, look at the run of the left back here on the left side of your screen. And that releases the space in the middle for the midfielder to run into. And three defenders have gone, which means that the forward comes in on the far side, mm-hmm. which to me is telling me something that I can't necessarily know, but I can see it now because they've pointed it out to me rather than great header, great cross, great goal, that sort of thing. We we recently just uh, within the last couple of weeks uh, got to hear a brand new co-commentator, uh, co-commentator uh, Paul Robinson, who did a lot of uh, the games for and actually all of the England games on the World Feed uh, uh, with Peter Drury for the UEFA Nations League. Now that the matches themselves and the score lines were not what uh, England fans wanted, but. For somebody like Paul Robinson or some, someone similar, I mean, how do they get into the business? I mean, is there a process where sometimes they may, may have to actually do um, kind of a trial, kind of basically kind of uh, do some commentaries of games that may not be broadcast? To be honest with you, Chris, I, I actually have no idea. Um, I think a lot of these people um, have an agent and the agent will try and get them some media work. What I do think is that somebody like Paul, uh, I didn't actually hear any of those um because I was actually working on the same nights. Um, but somebody like him who is a natural communicator, a natural broadcaster, will work at it. If you think about it, if you're a professional football player, you go into training four or five times a week and you practice your arts, don't you? Mm-hmm. Now, once you've retired, it's not easy actually to talk on the television with insight about the game that you've done almost by instinct for 15, 20 years or so. Yep. So the best of them will work on it and they will ask for advice. I mean, Andy Hinchcliffe is, is a perfect example of that. He is a man who has never stopped learning about television. And all these ex-players that come into TV, they're used to receiving instructions. They're used to a coach coaching them. They're used to carrying out those instructions. And I find it a little perplexing that... Sometimes it is assumed that because somebody has played a sport at a high level, that they can talk about that sport at a high level and communicate what they know to Mr. and Mrs. Public. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what Andy Hinchcliffe has done in particular is to absorb a lot of knowledge from commentators and from co-commentators as to what is required, you know, so so that you get away from the great cross, great header, great goal thing, and you actually explain Mm-hmm. why something is happening. Um, and I think that that's the, that going back to what we said earlier, I think that's one of the big advances in recent years that the co-commentators have become far better broadcasters. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things like each week on, on the website on, on worldsoccertalk.com, we publish the, the listings of who the commentators are going to be for the Premier League games. And oftentimes through the course of a season, there's a lot of fresh new names coming through on the co-commentary um, and some names that have come, ba- come back. Sometimes it's uh, football commentators that, um, such as Alan Parry, did some games in the last couple of seasons and, and, and other names. It, it's almost on a constant rotation except for the ones that, are, the ones that you can almost guarantee will be the first name on paper. Uh, and it's interesting listening to the different uh, commentary styles, whether it's the commentator himself or herself and uh, the co-commentary and and how they are so different. I mean, 
Gary Bertels is always the one that always comes up as somebody that <laughs> I respect as a player. I, I respect as a co-commenta- uh, co-commentator too because he, he doesn't hold back. He, he gives it his all. He is he, a little bit overly critical, overly negative. Um, but that's that. In some ways, that's that's who he is. That that's why we love him in terms of him kind of analyzing. You mean a scoring situation and a player making a mistake and, and, and kind of saying like, yeah, this is what he should have done. Um, but that I think that's yeah, at the end of the day, that's what we love about commentators and, and co-commentators is we, we get to know them kind of inter- intimately through the games. Yeah, I think it's interesting on the pod last week, or maybe it might have been the week before, Chris. Um, I think one of the, the listeners had written in to sort of say, um, UK commentary can sometimes be a bit funereal. Am I am I am I getting That's right, right with that? That's right. Um, now, having been in the states quite a bit, you know, if you think about commentary as something like the Richter scale, so you can go up to ten. Okay, for me, if you start off at eight out of ten, where are you going to go if something absolutely extraordinary goes? Mm-hmm. Every goal is not a world-beating goal. Um, it's not Spinal Tap. You can't go up to eleven. And if nobody, if if somebody hasn't seen Spinal Tap, I I thoroughly recommend it. Um, each game can be exciting, but each game can also be actually, frankly, quite dull. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you shouldn't be selling every game as though it is the greatest thing since sliced bread, because sometimes they're not. Um, and the other thing, you know, the South American style is the South American style. The European style is the European style, and and maybe. What viewers in the US uh, are getting used to is a kind of a, a homogenization of, of it all. Yep. So you've got a bit of South American, a bit of European, and a bit of American. Um, but yeah, I, I disagreed with European commentary, UK commentary being funereal. I disagreed with that vehemently, I must say. Yeah, I think a lot of it, it depends on, on what you're brought, brought up on or, or what you're used to. So if somebody's brought up in the UK listening to BBC Radio or, or Talk Sport these days, listening to that type of commentary and, and just the, the style of commentary um, versus uh, South American football, which is, I mean, two extremes, I mean, completely different. And, and the American commentary, for the most part, I think is still trying to find its voice, is still trying to find out what that what that is, because it's not British commentary, it's not South American commentary. It, might, it may be a hybrid of the two together, or it might be... Uh, partly more about American sports, about I mean, which is a lot of the American sports are filled with with stats and 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 sometimes yeah, I agree, John. And sometimes it is one of those things that for me personally, it can almost almost be a little bit. Um, I mean, if it's a dull game and the commentary is at an eight out of ten, I mean, it, what I see uh, does not match what what I hear, and it's it, there's a disconnect, and, and then sometimes I find myself. My eyes wander and I start, you mean, on my phone or something like like that, and I'm like, okay, I'm not really interested in this game as much now because this person's overselling it. Um, it it's rare that you'll have a commentator undersell a game, but what I do like is those those peaks and valleys where it is something where it can be, I mean, kind of a dry spell during a game, and then all of a sudden the action just goes ballistic and the commentary uh, matches that too. And and to me, at the end of the day. And I've been talking about this for, for years and years. I think there there is an art uh, that, uh, to commentary. There's an art to football commentary in terms of the way it's done. And just like with regular arts uh, anywhere in the world, there's lots of different styles. Um, and there are hybrids. And, and it is interesting, I think, for the viewers and listeners 
um, they probably pick and choose the style that's more like them. Yeah, I mean, when I've been in America and watched watched soccer on American TV, I just think, stop talking. Please stop talking for, for a while and stop bombarding with, with statistics, which again is the American thing. But it goes back to what Barry Davis said, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it because he basically said, one person's favourite commentator is another person's pain in the backside. <laughs> that's, that's and that's so, it. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of commentary, John, I, I know you've had a lot of experience doing the world feed, and this is a, a topic that's come out, up uh, several times, probably in the last few months, uh, at least, um, about the world feed. And, and sometimes for, for listeners or, or for readers of, of the site, they might be a little bit confused sometimes about the world feed and what it is and, and, and how it works. C- could you sh- mm. shine some light? Because I, I know you're um, one of the top football commentators uh, for the world feeds, for, for football in general, for soccer in general. But I was wondering if you can give us some uh, insight. Yeah, first of all, Chris, the world feed is not a simulcast. So it is not the domestic TV broadcast that just pumped out around the world. For example, here in the UK, we get the A-League from Australia on BT Sport, and we get the Australian commentary. Um, and that is basically going out in Australia and it's just pumped out to the rest of the world. So we might get an, an advert going, you know, don't forget there's um, Rugby Union coming up with the Wallabies against the the All Blacks that Saturday at five o'clock or whatever. That has no relevance to a UK audience whatsoever. A world feed is specifically, as the name entails, for the world. It should be strictly neutral. It should be for all TV markets and a world feed English language commentary. And there are world feed Spanish language commentaries as well um, should be, as I say, straight down the middle. Um, I'll take you through how world feed works from the start of the broadcast. And I'll do it from say the UEFA nations league, which we've just finished um, doing. Um, But I'll start with by saying the EFL that's on ESPN Plus, I believe, in the US. That's right. Yep. Uh, that's that starts five minutes before kickoff. So you, you run the titles, and then World Feed commentator will pick up and say, you know, hello to you, welcome to um, Swansea, and it's Swansea City against Norwich City in the English Premier in the uh, English EFL Championship. Uh, you know, let's have a look at the table. Swansea atop, Norwich a fifth blah, blah, blah. Let's have a look at the teams. Here we go. And that's, that's quite simple because that's the five minutes beforehand. Um, there's a wrap up at half time, which goes to the graphic. It's usually about 30 seconds. Um, you pick up again for the start of the second half. Again, at the end of the match, uh, you wrap up the game uh, to match the graphic, you know, full time. I'll say this for you, Swansea. Swansea five, Norwich nil, say, just for you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then they run the titles again and that's gone. Okay, now let me let, let me just try and experiment with you, Chris. If I take you through how a UEFA Nations League game broadcast will start, I'd like you to, and in fact, anybody who's listening uh, can do this as well, I'd like you to just think of different points in this running order that broadcasters around the world might be joining the broadcast if they are taking the World Feed English language commentary. Okay, so you're about 10, 12 minutes before kickoff. Titles are run or there's a wide shot. Mm-hmm. And then you get the ident graphic with, I don't know, let's, let's say it's um, Germany against the Netherlands. The commentator will pick up and go, you know, hello, we're in the Amsterdam arena. It's uh, the Netherlands against Germany in group A1 of the UEFA Nations League. Uh, you know, a big match, plenty of history behind it. Then there'll be a graphic up with the results so far in the group. 
So you talk about that. Then the group standing, you know, the Netherlands are on four points, Germany are on four points, uh, Croatia are on one point or whatever it might be. Then the shot will change to the teams in the tunnel. So you'll see them milling about, the referee will be there, a bit of talking about the setup. Then the teams will walk from the tunnel onto the pitch. You'll see them line up on the pitch and you'll say all the team news in a moment after the two respective national anthems. National anthems. Okay. One, two. Then it's so let's have a look at the teams for you then. Here's team A. Here's the Netherlands. Three changes from last time. Then we'll go to the referee who will do the toss with the two captains. There might even be a microphone shoved in there, in which case we'll be able to hear the, the audio. Then we'll do the second team. Here's the German team. It's the same team that uh, beat Croatia 3-0 on Saturday. Then we'll have a graphic of the substitutes. Then we might get a shot of the two coaches. Then we might get a shot of two key players. And then we'll be ready for kickoff. And then the game kicks off and we're underway. How many different starting points do you think there are in that little running order, Chris? It's interesting too. I'd say about five, but what happens... I mean. Yeah. I mean, so like, for example, I, I know like Fox Sports will come in probably right before the the whistle blows. So basically five seconds before ESPN probably would start. Um, if it's ESPN Plus would start as soon as the graphic comes up and kind of that wide graphic before it mentions yep. the team names. Other broadcasters might come in right after the national anthem. Some might come in right before. So I, I'd say roughly five. Yeah, you're, you're, you're about right. There's basically, as you say, taking the whole thing. Um, the team's walking. You always have a pause when the teams walk out of the tunnel, or at least you should do. And as they cross the touchline, you pick it up again. There's usually that shot, isn't there, of uh, the ball on a plinth? Yep. And the ref picks it up. So as soon as the ref has picked it up and the first players walk past the ball, that's another start point. Off the back of the national anthems is definitely uh, one. I mean, I remember when I was in Canada for the Women's World Cup a few years ago, uh, TSN, who took the world feed for pretty much all the games except the Canada ones, would say, you know, after the uh, after the national anthems, we'll be uh, on the call with uh, John Roder or whatever, whoever it was. So that was a nice clean one for them. Sure. And then you've got the kickoff as 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 well. And each time, as a, as a world feed commentator, you've got to start it again, but in a different way so that those viewers who have been with you since the start don't feel that you're repeating yourself. Mm -hmm. The other thing to watch out for, and I don't know whether anybody listening has noticed that this, but when you get the kickoff of a game like that, you will get a view from camera one, which is the, the whole pitch, and at the bottom of your screen, you'll see the touchline, and you'll see a man or a woman there, usually with their right arm outstretched at 90 degrees. Yep. Yeah, does that does that sound familiar? Yeah, the uh, was it the match? What's it called? The match uh, official? It's, it's either the, the match, the match, ma the match manager, or, manager, or, or right. the, the, the or the floor manager, or whatever. When that arm goes out, it's usually ten seconds to kick off mm. because you can't kick off early. Say the match is scheduled to kick off at eight pm local time, it cannot kick off at seven fifty nine forty nine. It cannot do that. It simply cannot do that. So the match manager will stand there with their arms outraised. And as the world feed commentator, you know that you have to shut up then because mm -hmm. you will, like, like you said, there will be clients joining specifically for kickoff. Right. So you want a nice clean in for that. And then at halftime, you talk to the graphic, which will say, you know, Netherlands won, Germany won. 
and you do the same at uh, full time. And that, that's how that's how that's how a world feed works because you have clients joining all the time and you actually don't know where those clients are most of the time. So you shouldn't ever say anything like "Good evening" from the Amsterdam Arena. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the time difference between you and I. That's five hours, but the time difference between, say, Amsterdam and Australia is a lot different. It could be morning there. Yeah, that, that, that's, yes. yeah, that's interesting too because I mean it's one of those things that uh, which is enlightening, John, because it it is something that uh, there's a science to it, there's a formula to it. Is this something that has been going on for a long, long time, or is this something that was developed, say, I don't know, Sky Sports in the early nineties? No, certainly not Sky Sports. It, it's evolved uh, over the years, particularly with um, coverage of FIFA tournaments, World Cup tournaments, and it's basically been adopted for um, for the UEFA. Uh, world feed as well for the Champions League world feed. You'll, you'll, you'll basically have a, a set running order. Um, but if you're doing the world feed, again, you have to be, as a commentator, you have to be neutral. So, for example, in Russia at the last World Cup, I did England beating, actually, I can't remember who they beat. They beat somebody 6 1. Mm-hmm. And as an Englishman, I'm thrilled with that. That's great. That, that's really good. But England on that day, I can't remember whether they played in white or red, but they were the team in white or red. They weren't England. They weren't the team that I support. I'm going straight down the middle because there could be people all around the world who are not supporting England. If I was doing that game for ITV or the BBC in England, then of course I'm going to be partisan because the majority of my viewers will be supporting England. Mm -hmm. But around the world... There could be people who are neutral, uh, whatever, uh, who support the opposition. You know, I mean, a lot of uh, the world feeds will go across Africa and the Middle East. And so if you're doing England against, say, Ghana, you'll actually be on Ghanaian television. So if you're partisan towards England, that's not going to go down very well at all, is it? So you have to be neutral on the world feed. Yep. Um, totally, totally neutral. Yeah, no, that, that that's really interesting, too, because like sometimes, though, like, especially the UEFA broadcasts in terms of, say, the Champions League. And this is a, a good example, is that when there are games on and it might be um, for, for us, for what we know is the world feed. But the world feeds may have many of them, maybe uh, English or British announcers. So, uh, you mean, you can go down the list. There's so many of them on the world feed. But however, sometimes if it's I don't know, Liverpool against uh, whoever it may be. Um, even though I think viewers here in the United States are hoping and expecting kind of that unbiased, straight down the middle, uh, kind of neutral commentary, it's often th- th- whatever the co- co-commentator says or what the, wherever the, the commentator says, you can tell there's definitely a um, an understanding that they, they know more about the, the team from the Eng- England side. And there's almost like a, a sense of disappointment in the voices uh, and then in their tone if the, the the British side or the Premier League side loses in that the UEFA Champions League game. I, I think in, way, in a way... To, to be honest, Chris, to, to be honest, um, if I was if I was producing that, I would I would have a word. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm rather loath to 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 ever criticise any any of my fellow brethren uh, who do commentary, but I, I would definitely have a word. Uh, yeah, that to me is not acceptable. Yeah, I, and I agree too. And I think it's one of those things that uh, yes, I might be hoping that Liverpool wins that game, but I'm just a fan uh, of British descent, hoping that they win. Um, so, but but it, it does. You mean oftentimes it has has happened where it, it feels unfair, unbalanced. Uh, and for me, I, I would much prefer to have somebody straight down the middle, kind of get, giving us some insight on, on both sides and, and trying to be as fair. It, it's got to be difficult, though, John, right? I mean, it, it is, I mean, inherent. You're an Englishman. Um, 
it's got to be difficult sometimes to try to find that strike that balance no no it, it shouldn't be this is where your professionalism should come into play um you are doing a job for the world as i mentioned if you're doing it for itv or for bbc then fine yeah be partisan um towards your team but yep. if you're doing it for the world absolutely absolutely not you, you can you can have a little fist bump or something like that if, if if england do score but your voice and your words should not reflect the fact that you are english what I find interesting too, just as uh, one additional thought on this one, is that uh, oftentimes in my conversations with different um, commentators or co-commentators, uh, I'll give a couple examples, Peter Drury and Jim Beglin, is oftentimes they don't know, that they're doing the world feed, but they don't know if in the United States, as one example, if their commentary is being used or if it's if somebody else, if they're using, say, Fox Sports's commentary with their own announcers. Um so, so uh, would social media be the only way, really? You mean to find out? You mean kind of if you're doing a world feed, uh, which countries are? You mean you mean if they share feedback, which countries are listening in? Um, does it really matter, Chris? <laughs> does it does it does it actually really matter? Yeah, um, that's true. Because, because your commentary is going out, it could be used anywhere. I'll give you an example. In the World Cup in 2014, my wife and youngest daughter were on holiday in Mauritius. Uh, while I was in Brazil and they went downstairs to the restaurant come bar in the hotel they were staying at and my youngest said to my wife mum do you do you recognize the voice on the tv that's doing the football she went no and my youngest went well you should do you're married to him <laughs> um, <laughs> you know so it could be going anywhere you could be going on a huge market like in being sports in the Middle East, you could be going right across Africa. You could be going to small places like Mauritius or Malta TV or Falkland Islands TV. Mm-hmm. You know, all those services are taking your world feed commentary and all should expect and be delivered the high standard that you should be setting yourselves. All right. Well, speaking of uh, high standards, um, Gareth Bale has made a move uh, from uh, Real Madrid. I mean, was on, on a free, free available uh, but went to LAFC this week. So that was big news in Major League Soccer. Signed, signed a big deal for 12 months there. Possibility of uh, longer than that. Um, what, what's your take on, on the Gareth Bale story? Was it uh, big news in the UK? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was big news. I mean, as I understand it, LAFC are doing well. Um, he has to be fit for the World Cup. Um, MLS goes until October. Then you've got the playoffs and the MLS Cup final. If they get to that, that all finishes in early November. Absolutely perfect for him, isn't it? I mean, I think on a recent podcast, uh, Chris, you or Karthik said that MLS really did need a marquee signing. Giorgio Chiellini has also joined LAFC. Are they marquee signings? I think Gareth Bale is. So so I think, and this is hard too, because I'm also Welsh, born in Wales. So I have a little bit of a bias here. But even if I didn't have the bias, I think... Gareth Bale's the type of person that people would want to go and buy tickets to to go see him play if he came to your, your, your local city. Um, and also on television, too. I think there's a lot of curiosity in terms of how will he do in uh, Major League Soccer, in terms of his level. Um, he's certainly an exciting player to watch. And then beyond that, I think the big story really is that uh, with Gareth Bale being captain of Wales, and the first match in the World Cup in 2022 for the United States is going to be the United States against Wales coming up against Gareth Bale. So I think there's that part of it uh, in terms of what Major League Soccer did and, and um, making the decision to, to sign him. 
uh, makes sense because I think it, he is going to move that needle maybe a little bit, maybe more than that. It, a lot of it depends on his playing time and uh, being injury-free and uh, how exciting, what what he brings to the, to the game. Um, and I, so I think it's a good fit for MLS. I think it's a good fit for Gareth Bale too in terms of being again uh, um, more playing time probably being one of the first names on a team sheet if he wants to be uh, as well as growing his brand but also more, more importantly getting that playing time and playing in some really uh, warm conditions uh, as opposed to playing say in Cardiff where that was the, <laughs> that was the talk a, a couple of weeks ago that maybe he'd, he'd be playing for Cardiff in, in the championship so yeah no I think it's uh, it's a smart move and also for Major League Soccer too with it being a one-year deal uh, with the the option to uh, lengthen that too, if they want to, it does make it more interesting. I think more uh, likely that people might sign up for Apple TV in the beginning next year to to watch these games. And uh, with Apple TV, I'm sure they'll show a lot of uh, the games for for free in the beginning. But it's a great it's a great way. It's, it's I think uh, he's to me he's the type of player that um, you mean he's a professional athlete. He's somebody that. Uh, uh, I think it has a lot of a lot of people have respect for him. I think he's an exciting player. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really inter- interested and excited about this one. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a very good signing. I really appreciate you have coming on the show. This is a really insightful in terms of uh, giving us an idea of life as a football commentator, especially on the world feed too. Because here in the United States, we get to hear. Uh, the world feed probably more than 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 a lot of other countries kind of so on and especially with a lot of the games being on streaming these days and 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 I, and I think that's that's where things are heading uh, they're already there is that we're getting getting more and more of the world feeds as opposed to domestic broadcasters uh, using their own talent to call the games partly because there's so many games i mean like for example I think ESPN Plus has over 2,500 games a year, I mean, from around the world, just soccer soccer games. Uh, Paramount Plus, which is the CBS Sports' streaming service, that has more than 1,000 uh, soccer games from around the world. And those are just two streaming services, and there's several others. So I think in many ways, we might get a chance to hear p- people like you, you John, and, and many others on the world feed probably a lot more in the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's always it's always an interesting thing. I mean, I, I will say in conclusion, Chris, that I, I am a very, very lucky person to be doing this as a job, as a so-called career. Um, to watch football for a living is, is is absolutely fantastic, and it's something that um, you know a lot of young kids will dream of. And I've been lucky enough to to actually uh, live that dream. Uh, can I just plug my yeah. Twitter feed, which is johnroder.com? J-O-H-N-R-O-D-E-R-C-O-M-M. Um, and then you'll, you can link through to my website. But um, yeah, any if anybody's got any questions, there is an email address on my website and you can just uh, just send me a question. I'll be happy to, to answer it if I can. Yeah, yeah. And John's website again is uh, johnroder.com. And uh, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it and it's been a great conversation. So thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed it greatly, Chris. Hopefully we'll talk again sometime. Okay, so let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is uh, Chris uh, talking about the K-League from Korea. I recently watched a South Korean league game between uh, Suwon 
and uh, Soul FC on the league's free streaming service. And I have to say that the production values were good. For some unknown reason, commentary was not available, but there was crowd noise. Even with the stadium at 40% capacity, the atmosphere was electric. The level of play is about equal to both MLS and EFL League One although there are less fouls. Definitely we'll be watching more of these matches uh, before the, the Premier League season begins. Then we have uh, Nick talking about uh, comparison between American sports and European sports. I think, actually, Nick, we're going to save that one for next week uh, with Kartik because uh, I definitely want to get his insights on that. Uh, next up, we talk to, uh, let's see who we have next. Next, we have uh, Gustavo. And Gustavo is talking about uh, soccer cities in the United States. He says, hi, guys. I really enjoy your show and re- usually listen during my Saturday morning jog. I was shocked last week to hear Kartik, who I respect very much, say that London was not a soccer town. This is incredible to hear from somebody so worldly like Kartik. The London metropolitan area has 29 professional soccer clubs in the different divisions and will have seven clubs in the biggest, richest league in the world, which is the Premier League next season, uh, each with its own stadium. I would say that London is not only a soccer town, it is the greatest soccer town in the world. It seems that every male Londoner supports a football team and now more and more women uh, are becoming uh, supporters as in most places in the globe as well. Soccer is so far ahead of second place that no one really knows what the second most popular sport is in London or in England for that matter. So listeners, if you do have any questions, feedback, uh, or any topics you'd like us to to discuss, definitely get in touch with us. You can reach out to us via the website, worldsoccertalk.com. And then in the podcast section, we've got a section there that you can leave comments. You can email us through web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can reach us through Twitter at worldsoccertalk and on Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. All right, guys, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you uh, tuning in to this episode. Uh, On behalf of everyone here at uh, World Soccer Talk, we wish you a uh, happy 4th of July, and we'll be back soon. Enjoy your football. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.